0: You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church Northwest is located in Vancouver, Washington. We meet each Sunday with two services, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We hope you enjoy. Want to know more about us? You can check us out online at www.axcamus.org. Okay, here's the sermon. We hope God blesses you through it. There is a young pastor and his very first pastor in a farming community. And he got all prepared for his first sermon. And uh, only one person showed up. And it was just an old farmer. And he said, I don't know what to do. He says, just one person. Do I, do I preach? He said, well... I'm just a farmer, but I'll tell you something. If only one cow shows up, I still give him food. And so he's, oh, okay. So he preached his heart out, man. He just really preached, and he preached and he preached and he preached. When we got all done. He said, uh, "Well, what do you think?" Well, he says, "I'm just an old farmer." But if only one cow shows up, I don't give them the whole load. Well, you're going to get the whole load anyway. Yeah. Some of you know that I have three children, one of each. See, I got that from Bill Gaither, a dumb joke. People go, one of each, what's that mean? Anyway, we first had... A girl named Donna, and we planned that out. If you can't plan that out, by the way, uh, because we wanted to have a babysitter. You know, you have a girl first, and then she becomes a babysitter. Then we had the two boys, David and Daniel. And uh, Donna took after my mother's side, her my. Great-grandmother and my grandmother were small in stature. But David and Daniel, both were over six foot. Six foot one or six foot two, something like that, both of them. And so you had this little girl and these two big boys. But what's amazing to me is to watch their interaction. And since Donna was in charge from the time she was smaller... She remains in charge. To this day, she'll take on those boys with no problem. She just, and they, they just listen to her. (laughs) They ain't going to go against her. It's amazing how powerful women are, even though they are not entitled to everything they should be, but they have a lot of power anybody who's married knows that. There's many a man who has made a decision that really wasn't his, but he thought was his. You see, the women have a way of uh, getting the men to see what they want them to see, and they, they do that. So it's amazing how much power women have. What are you smiling about? <laughs> yeah. You've... <laughs> well it's true so we go to 1st Kings and we're going to pick up a story about Elijah there now say this with me 5-12 five, 5-5-12 five, five, ready 5-12 five, 5-5-12 five, five, one more time 5-12 five, 5-5-12 five, five, why do I give you that Because the Old Testament is broken into sections. 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. So you have the first five books of the Pentateuch, called the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you have 12 books of history. 12 books of history. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Then you have five books of poetry. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. Then you have five of the major prophet books. You have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. And then you have the 12 minor prophets. I won't go through all of them. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Etc. We're in the books of history, and we're going in Kings and 1 Kings chapter 18 specifically. Now Ahab, who was the king of Israel, the northern part, married, as it was common among kings, another princess, so that they'd be allies with the people. And unfortunately, he married a woman who ended up having great influence, but not for good. Her influence was that she wanted to do what she was used to, what was comfortable to her. And she was into Baal worship and Asura worship. And so she made it her mission to get rid of the Prophets of God. So we pick up the story in chapter 18, verse 4. So it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to one cave and 50 to another, and he fed them with bread and water. So these were hidden prophets. Nobody knew where they were, or that they even existed, especially Elijah. Elijah thought he was the only one left, because God had called him to go to Ahab. And he went to Ahab, and he said, you are allowing evil in this place. You got to stop it. And so by the word of the Lord, by the power of the Lord, by the commandment of the Lord. He said, it's not going to rain again. So for three and a half years, it hadn't rained. It was total, complete desert. If you understand what no rain in desert is, it was pretty tough. So Elijah comes to Ahab a second time, and he says, in First 1 Kings 18.18, 18, you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and had fo- followed Baal. Now, Baal, some say Baal, the Baal, is how it should be pronounced, was a god worshipped in many ancient Middle Eastern communities, especially among Canaanites. And they considered him to be a fertility deity, And one of the most important gods. And uh, you can understand fertility has a lot to do with sensuality and the things that go along with that. So, bad bad pick over our God. Pick up again at verse 19. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. And 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So she is killing the prophets of God. And she's feeding and allowing them to live in luxury the prophets of Asherah and Baal. Baha. Kind of a huge distance there, isn't there? And so King Ahab is going to do what he says. Jezebel is introduced in the biblical narrative as a Phoenician princess, the daughter of Ichabal, the first king of Tyre. She eventually married Ahab of Samaria. The northern king of Israel. And Ahab made an altar to Baal and a house for him, or temple for him, Temple of Baal. Now you can imagine this 450 prophets of Baal Baal, and 400 prophets of Aspera. That's 850 prophets. And as far as Elijah knows, he is the only one. He says, I, only I, am left. He thinks he's by himself. And by the way, I think that's one of the enemy's favorite things to do to us, is make us think that we're by ourselves. (laughs) Wants us to feel isolated and forgotten and all those things. So, Elijah challenges the prophets to prove who the real God, whether it's Baal or Jehovah God. Verse 21, and Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. It's an amazing thing how into a society can enter an influence that pervades and overcomes that society. We are seeing that today. You know, the largest growing group in America are agnostics, atheists. People who say they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. That's the largest growing group. Why is that? Why did that come about? Because as we move further and further away from the things of God, we've gone closer and closer to the opposite. And so we see an increase in violence, in lack of honor, lack of respect. We see all these things happening, and there's no center place. At one time in this country, people were at least familiar with biblical things. Whether they believed them or not, doesn't matter but they were familiar with them, and it pervaded even their language. This next year, we're going to encourage everybody to read through the Bible in one year. It's a great thing to do. If you do that, you're going to start seeing things that you never thought were in the Bible. (laughs) Have you ever heard the term, by the skin of my teeth? That's right out of the Bible. And it was in our language. And things of the Bible were in our language. We talk about them. They were in our community. Now, as that has faded and the Bible has taken a place as a decoration, we have not had the same things to be true. That's what it was like. Israel had been influenced. And moved into a place of idolatry, a place of living by what they felt was best, doing what's right in their own eyes. And Elijah says, You can't have it both ways. <laughs> I think Jesus said it a little differently no man can serve. Two masters. Just said it another way. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me, my house will serve the Lord. There's a call for a decision. Are you going to follow God, believe in God, trust in God? Or are you not? You see, it's all or nothing. You can't just be kind of pregnant. You either are or you're not. And the same thing is true with God. He wants you to make a decision either accept me or reject me. But you can't serve two. You can't do it. So Elijah says to them, You're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to make a decision today. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to believe in? Who are you going to trust in? So let's just see how powerful the God of Baal is. Let's just see about that. So, verse 23 says, Therefore, let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves cut into pieces, laid on wood, put no fire under it, and I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire in it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. That was a pretty good thing to do. You see, false gods are simply False. <laughs> If you ask them to move and do something, they don't have it. It doesn't work, you know. And it's not that people don't believe in false gods. They do. And you're about to find out just how dedicated the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah were. They were steadfastly very much strong believers, but a false god cannot produce. Only God can. Now, Elijah, he was familiar with God and the power of God and of miracles. Second of all, he knew that if God called him to do something, that God would answer. He's following the plan of the Lord. What's another amazing thing to me is if we could just trust in the Lord and not in our own understanding, in our own selves, in what we believe, what we understand, what we know, we may be able to be used of God for him to do his work in his way. So it's not us, but it's him. Peter says to the one person, silver and gold have I none, But that which I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, take up your bed and walk. There's a man named John Wimber, back in the 70s. And John was, actually he wrote for the Righteous Brothers, if you know who that is. Look in history. And... uh, He's a great musician, but he started wondering. He became a Christian, and he read through the Bible. And as he read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, he was interested to read about how it says God, how Jesus did many miracles. He healed the sick, the lame, the blind. He delivered people from demonic power. And he says, why in the world don't we see this today? Was it just Jesus who did that? So as he read through the book of Acts, he saw, no, it wasn't just Jesus who did that. In fact, Jesus said, greater things will you do than I've done. And so miracles, signs, and wonders were common. Elijah was aware of the fact that God has power and is willing to show it. Why? What was the purpose of showing his power? To bring the people back to him. To say, you can trust me. I'm real. I think that's still true today. That the greatest Testimony we have is not in ourselves, but in what God does. And it starts with the greatest gift of all, which you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love. At the very basis of everything, we have to have love. We're not seeking power. We're not seeking all the things that are attributed to to, to miracles, we're, we're seeking to be filled with the love of God, and by the love of God, we demonstrate His love through what God wants to do. In this case, it was Elijah showing the people of God who God is, and so we pick up the story In verse 19, excuse me, verse 27. Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he's meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping, and must be awakened. So as as these prophets of Baal, Baal, were crying out for their God to light the fire. They were chanting and singing, Come on, baby, light my fire. I'm I'm sorry, that wasn't in there. But they're crying out. They're crying out, bring fire down, bring fire down. Because they believed, they believed their God could do it. That's the thing. They believed in their God. And so, Elijah's having a little fun with them. <laughs> he begins to uh, mock them. You know, hey, maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he should cry out louder. And so they did. And here's what it says in... They prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. In Israel, there was an evening sacrifice. And it says, they prophesied until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. So Elijah waits. He waits all day long for them. And they're crying out. And they're slashing themselves. They're literally cutting themselves. As it was their tradition to do when they got more intense. I mean, these people were intense. They were fervent about what they believed in. They were giving it their all. But to no avail. And how many people hang on to a false belief and will not let it go. They're going to hang on to it. They believe it, and that's it. Well, Christians do that. The only difference is, if you got the truth, the truth will set you free. If you don't, it'll bind you. So they have this thing going on, Till the time of evening sacrifice, I love that. Then it says, in verse thirty-one, Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob. A lot of symbolism. If you read through the Bible, you're going to see that twelve becomes an important number—the twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve disciples. And they were immoralized things by putting stones up. So here he is. He's going to put 12 stones as the altar. The base upon these rocks. He's going to show the power of God. Then, he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seats of seed, about four and a half gallons. He put wood in order, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then, he told him to fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice in the wood. Way back when I was a Boy Scout, I tried to join the Girl Scouts, but they wouldn't let me in. When I was a Boy Scout, one of the merit badges, one of the first ones we did, was you had to make fire without a match. You had to go into the woods and make fire. Well, at that time we lived in Seattle area, in Bellevue. and It rained naturally. <laughs> and so I was out there and I, it's very difficult to make a fire out of wet wood. In fact, it's almost impossible even with a match. But I found I found some dry tinder and I got it done. So they passed me but water's not the friend of fire, is it? <laughs> if you want a fire and you want to make it difficult, put water on it. So they, they took four of those water pots and he says do it again a second time and do it again a third time. Four, eight, four, eight, twelve. 12 <laughs> We got there! 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. 12 pots of water drenching the wood and the sacrifice. Filling up the trough around it. So the water ran all around the altar. It was just totally covered in water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God and that I am your servant. And that I have done all the things At your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. So he sets it up. First of all, I'm your servant. I'm under your orders. I'm under the authority that you've given me. So here, and do. God's always able and willing to do what He asked us to do. If He tells us to do something, trust in Him. Believe in Him, not believe in yourself. Believe in Him. Believe in God. Let it be known this day that you are God, I'm your servant, And let these people know you are God and draw them to yourself. Bring them back to yourself. Help these people understand who you are. Show them, demonstrate, demonstrate your power that they might believe, that they might turn back to you. They might once again serve the Lord their God. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up all the water that was in the trench. Wow. That's one hot fire. I am kind of a pyromaniac in a sense, I love to make fires. And uh, it's gotten me in trouble a couple of times when I was younger. We were making a fire, and I just love to get that thing going. And I'm putting more and more stuff on it, and then I I really wanted to see it gush into flames. I, I took some kerosene and threw it on the fire, and it went, and suddenly I was out without any eyebrows. I mean, literally, they just fell off. Ding, 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 ding. I know what a hot fire can do. I've stood by bonfires and lifted up a Kleenex and pushed it towards the fire. Before it ever got there, it takes off in flame. Remember the children in the fiery furnace and they. King saw them walking around, and he says, make it hotter, make it hotter. So they made it seven times hotter than it normally is, killing the guards who were trying to feed the fire. God has the ability to make a hot fire, and that came down. and That had to be quite a sight. Fire falling from heaven. (laughs) Burned everything in sight. Everything on that altar, the wood, the sacrifice, the stones. I don't know, some scientists here can tell me how hot it has to be before it melts stones, but it's got to be pretty hot. And the dust, and not one bit of that 12 pots of water left. That's a pretty strong statement, wouldn't you say? And it had to be quite interesting for them, the people, to see that. That all day long, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah are trying to bring fire down from heaven, and they can't do it. All day long. And then Elijah, with one prayer, demolishes the whole thing with fire by God. God made his presence known. What's part of the pro- part of the process of coming to the Lord? It's also is repentance, and it's also clearing out all those things in our lives which led us astray, getting rid of everything. See in the book of Acts, them bringing all their books of sorcery, and burning them. You get rid of, you purge all that evil out of your life. And so Elijah says to the the people, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and executed them there. 850 prophets were executed that day. You go, wow, that wasn't very nice. Let me tell you something. It's appointed once for a man to live, and then the judgment. And God judges. It means death. Let's get this straight right up front. Let's anybody have any other idea You can choose God and live, or you can reject God and die. And that's exactly what these false prophets were doing. They got the judgment for which they believed in. They trusted in the God of Baal and the God of Asherah, and they perished because of that. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so judgment came, not unlike in Genesis when God saw that it was upon the face of the earth for men to do evil, for men and women to do evil continually, it says. So he set judgment in the form of water. And he wiped out the entire earth except for eight who were saved. In the ark that Noah built. All wiped out. You see, as you read through the testament of God, how over and over again the earth would swallow up, fire would come, hailstones came, judgment comes. And Elijah was under the direction of God, not only to bring a miracle from God. To show the people who he was, but to also, also to execute justice in the form of judgment. Who judged them? God judged them. So you can choose life, or you can choose death. Reject God, then judgment. Follow God, receive life. This is still true to this day. Now, I'm not going to call down fire, because God didn't tell me to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I can't tell you what God says to everyone here today. Choose you this day. This day. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. Choose you this day if you'll believe in me or if you're going to reject me. Because one of the two things is going to happen you're either going to believe or you automatically reject. You either believe or you are rejecting. There is no middle ground. You have no other choice now. Either you trust and believe in God or you don't. What's God's plan? John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I love that verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. You know, a lot of preaching that I've heard in my lifetime some some years has been condemning the world. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go with the girls that do. Keep away from this, keep away from that, the world is a horrible place, and just condemning and condemning, 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 condemning. For God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. What tells us to do? Go and preach the good news. Woman caught in adultery, they bring before Jesus. Jesus, being the ranking rabbi there, by tradition, was supposed to cast the first stone, authenticating the stoning. But instead, he starts writing in the sand. And from the oldest to the youngest, they departed. And when they were all gone, he said, go and sin no more. God sent his son in the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God did not send his son in the world for judgment. He sent him in for salvation. Judgment is coming. But first, the gospel. But first, the good news. But first, the the uh, rescuing, the redeeming. Bringing people to God. That is supposed to be top on our list. Telling people, God loves you. There's a girl named Ann Kimo, And back in the 60s, and she was one of these real high energy, little small statured woman who loved the Lord so much. Wherever she'd go, she'd drive into a gas station and back in those days, used to have what they call full service. They would wash your windows. They would check the air in your tires. They would check the oil. How do I know that? I worked in a service station. And people would come in and buy $5 worth of gas and want all the goodies. Windows cleaned, oil checked, tires checked. And she saw this attendant. And she said, sir, may I tell you something? He said, oh, okay. God loves you and I love you. And that's the way it should be. You know, sir, God loves you. Nobody else may love you, but God does. He has a wonderful plan for your life. And she led him to the Lord in that gas station. Because it's the good news. God loves you. God's not interested in condemning. He's interested in saving. That should be our thought as well. So, he who believes in the Son of God has a witness in himself. And he who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testament that God has given of his son. Just saying it another way. Believe or you automatically reject. Trust and believe or you are rejecting God. And by rejecting God, you are accepting condemnation and death. Eternal death. He who has a son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's pick up the story again in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Verse 41. Then Elijah said to Aham, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So I have went up to eat and drink. All right, get the picture here. You're in a desert country. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. There's not a cloud in the sky. Not a cloud in the sky. It's just the same as it's been all along for three and a half years. And Elijah says, there's an abundance of rain. Okay, you've been drinking your bath water. think about how hard it is to believe that there's an abundance of rain when you see no rain no chance of rain there's not even a cloud in the sky but if the prophet who just called down fire from God the prophet who just brought judgment upon the prophets of Baal says go I'm going you know he can deal with the rain but I'm I'm leaving Three and a half years, not a cloud in the sky. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. Then he bowed on the ground, put his face between his knees, and said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. So Elijah says, do it again. He does. Do it again he does. Do it again, he does. Do it again, he does. If you're the servant, what are you thinking? You just made five trips, no clouds, hasn't been cloud for three and a half years. What are you thinking? I'm going to do what he says, but the guy has gone nuts. He just worked too hard today. I mean, come on. Goes up again, comes back, nothing. He says, go one more time. So on the seventh trip, He goes seven times. Seven is the number of completion in the Bible. He completed what the servant of God told him to do. And trust me, when God says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and you see no response, do it again. You see no response, do it again. You see no response, do it again. Get the idea? In fact, Noah was the greatest evangelist that ever lived in my book because for 100 years he preached and not one person responded. I'm just telling myself, if I was a pastor and I spent a year and not one person came to the Lord, I'd be, you know, considering am I in the right position? two years, three years, four years, five years. After six years, I'd say, come on. I've tried everything I can think. 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. God didn't tell us we have to be successful in our eyes. He said, be faithful. What's the words we want to hear when we enter heaven? Well done, thou good and faithful. Not Billy Graham. He didn't call you to be Billy Graham. He called Billy Graham to be Billy Graham. And Billy Graham has led thousands of people to Jesus. And you may have led none, but you kept on doing it. Keep going. Seven times he goes up there. And on the seventh time, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand. Rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. All right. In the Northwest, it's very hard to uh, tell the weather, one of the worst places in the world. But if you see one cloud in the sky about the size of man's hand, you're not saying it's going to rain. But this forecaster saw one little cloud the size of a man's hand and Says, tell Ahab to get his chariot going. No more time to waste. Get your chariot. And in those days, the king would go out to battle. He'd take his chariot out there. And as long as it was going well, he just stayed there. But if the tide turned, so did He. <laughs> And he'd head out of there. What kind of horses do you want if you're the king and know they're going to kill you? Slow plodding horses? Or are you going to get the fastest horses in the kingdom? So what did Ahab have? He had the fastest chariot in the kingdom. That's what he had. And he starts heading back. And then we find the story of the record that's never been broken. The fastest man alive has, breaks all records. Fastest man, there's never been a man this fast since. His record will probably never be broken. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. Now, I've been to Israel. The very first time we went to Israel, they had one of those heavy rains. And in the desert, when there's a heavy rain, it doesn't soak in right away. It just floods. And it wipes out roads. You can't travel. It's, a, it's a quite a mess. Heavy rains. We are in Florida and trying to get from the car to the front about 100 feet. And it was raining so hard that I was dripping wet by the time I got to the hotel. It was pouring. That's what's going on. These are the heavy rains. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. With the fastest horses in rain trailing him. He's gone. He is blitzing. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. And he girded up his loins. Pulled up his robe. And ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. How do you feel? You got the fastest horses in the kingdom. Who was that? I think that was Elijah. He just outran the chariot. And it wasn't for any small, short spot. Chariots were very light and made with materials such as leather. The chariot can only go as fast as the horses that pull it. But he, he had the fastest ones. So it's estimated for around 35 to 40 miles an hour. Let's give Ahab the fastest horses, 40 miles an hour he's going. Remember, he already had a head start. And it was approximately 17 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. 17 miles. That's fast! Put him on one of these marathons. See ya. Nobody runs 40 miles an hour in a long distance race. Nobody. But God, through his servant Elijah did. That's amazing. Here's the thing I want you to understand. That not only do we receive salvation from our Lord, we also receive power. We also receive power. Once the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive dunamis, miraculous power. And God will give you power in your life. Not just salvation, but power. If God before you, who can be against you? I can do all things by Christ who gives me the strength and the power. Same, same idea. The power of God in us. God receives the glory. When you say, it wasn't me. And people are pretty sure it wasn't. I mean, a miracle occurred, they figured you didn't do it. Who receives the glory? To God be the glory. That is what's waiting for you this day. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for who you are and what you do. But most of all, we thank you that you're not only willing to save us, but you're willing to empower us that we become more than conquerors through you, through your power. And I pray for each one here today that they'll not only understand what salvation means, but they'll also understand what power of you in them means. What power you're willing to give to them, not for their own sakes, but for your sake, that many may come to know you by the witness of the power that you give them. And I pray if there's anyone here today who still hasn't received you as their Savior, or somebody hasn't really understood the power that you provide, that you'll make it clear to them this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope God spoke to you through it. We would like to invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. for our Sunday service. If you enjoyed this sermon, have questions for us, or simply want to connect with Axe Church more, find us on Facebook under Axe Church Northwest. Send us an email or message or leave us a rating or recommendation. We appreciate all of you and hope to hear from you.